leading up to Christmas, we're, we're considering a sort of lost Christmas carol. Uh, the hymns that you and I grew up singing, hymns like Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. It, it, sometimes when we hear those hymns, we're like, How Great Thou Art, or It Is Well. When we hear those, there's just something in us as Christians where we like make a fist and we're like, Yes. Amen to those, and we do that because those truths are so precious for Christians. A lot of our hymns were written in the 1800s, roundabout, but the early church actually had their own set of hymns, and apparently the text that we are working our way through last week and moving forward up to Christmas is one of those hymns that the early church would sing together. So we're going to be in 1 Timothy 3, and what we're going to see in this hymn as we continue in this series is the hymn that this early church would sing was very much Christmas in nature. So with that being said, let's go to God's Word together. Would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. In this letter, and as Paul references this early church hymn, he reminds Timothy that the gospel, the story of Jesus and who he is and what he's done, it's a great mystery. It's not just mysterious, it's a great mystery. Last week, Pastor Allen preached a message, and we focused on that first part, that Jesus was manifested in the flesh. And as Pastor Allen shared, we were reminded that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. He is truly Emmanuel, God with us. Which, by the way, if you take away either one of those components, if you take away the fact that Jesus was 100% God, the gospel ceases to exist. And if you take away the fact that Jesus took on flesh, once again, the gospel ceases to exist. Paul continues explaining the mystery of the gospel of Jesus in our text today. So number one, let's consider this. Jesus conquered life without sin. Look at verse 16 again. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit. So the word vindicated, uh, vindicated there literally means to be proven righteous. And this is talking about the essence and the nature of Jesus. Jesus is holy. He is blameless. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. That's talking about us. But Jesus is the one true righteous one. He conquered this life without sin. So almost all historians agree that a man named Jesus really did exist. Almost all historians agree that a man named Jesus not only existed, but he had a large following. Almost all historians agree to that. But where they disagree is what they believe Jesus was or who they believe Jesus is. 
The Bible says that Jesus is the Son of God. We're going to celebrate that today. The Bible says that Jesus is the Messiah, the the Redeemer sent by God, the Rescuer sent by God. So here's the thing. A lot of people actually believe in Jesus, quote unquote. I remember when I was in college, I went to the University of Mobile, and I was a freshman at UM, and I remember I was getting to know people on campus, and one night we were in one of the dorms, uh, and we were down in the lobby area of one of the dorms, and I I was meeting these students for the first time. It's the start of the first semester of my freshman year, and the topic of religion came up, and specifically the topic of Jesus came up. And here I am, I'm thinking, well, this is a Christian school. I mean, obviously, we're all going to be very like-minded here at this Christian university. And then as we started talking about Jesus, and everyone started sharing what they believed about Jesus, I heard one guy say, well, I think he was just like a really good moral example for us. I heard someone else say, I think he may have just been a prophet, you know? I'm not sure. I'm looking at these other religions. Someone else said, he was clearly a great teacher, but I'm not sure about much beyond that. And that shocked me to the core. That reminded me the great need for a biblical, real understanding of Jesus, even here in the South, even in a Christian university. And you know what? Those college students are not alone. There's actually a lot of people around the world who quote-unquote believe in Jesus, but what they believe about Jesus differs from what we as Christians believe about Jesus. Let me give you a few examples. The Mormons believe that Jesus was a spirit child, was first a spirit child with both a heavenly father and a heavenly mother, clearly different from us. They also believe Jesus progressed to deity. Jehovah's Witnesses believe this. They believe Jesus was originally created by Jehovah as the archangel Michael before the physical world existed. They also believe that Jesus is a lesser, though mighty, little g God. So they believe in Jesus, but what they believe is different, right? One more. Islam. This one was very interesting to me. The Quran, which is the holy book for the Muslim faith. The Quran calls Jesus names such as Messiah, Son of Mary, and even the Spirit of God. The Quran always speaks of Jesus with reverence, but it omits the teachings of Jesus. And it rejects that Jesus is divine in nature. Here's the point. There's a common denominator with those college students, with all of these world religions. They all, quote unquote, believe in Jesus. But church, simply believing that Jesus existed is not enough. In fact, let's consider this together. We have to believe what the Bible says about Jesus. Otherwise, we're following the wrong Jesus. Let me say that again. We have to believe what the Bible says about Jesus. Otherwise, we are definitely following the wrong Jesus. Before we continue, I want to encourage all of us to do kind of a self-eval and consider what do you believe about Jesus and where did those beliefs come from? 
Are they rooted in what the Bible says about Jesus? Or did you just take what somebody told you and take it to heart? Measure it. Filter it through the Word of God and allow the Word of God to show you who the real Jesus is. Paul goes on to teach us more about this real biblical Jesus. Verse 16 again. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit. So we learn that the word vindicated means to be declared righteous. And what's interesting here is Paul says that Jesus was declared righteous by the Spirit. Now, that sounds nice and spiritual, but what does that actually mean? Well, it means that the Spirit played a role. That somehow the Spirit of God proclaimed to the world that Jesus was indeed righteous. Let me show you a verse from one of Paul's letters. Romans chapter 1 verse 4. And was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, so the Spirit played a role in proclaiming that Jesus was righteous. It declared that he was the son of God. I I was studying this passage, and the word declared is really interesting. If you were to wake up one morning early, and you were to look out into the darkness before the sun rises, as, as soon as the sun hits that horizon line, it's immediately noticeable where the light is and where the darkness is. There's a clear horizon line. And that's actually what the word declared means here. There's a separation between light and dark. And similarly, there's a separation clearly between Christ and the rest of mankind. The Holy Spirit of God declared that Christ was the Son of God, that he was righteous. And the way that the Spirit of God did that was he raised Jesus from the dead. He was clearly not like any other ordinary man. So I know this is a lot of theology this morning, but these truths are very important for us to consider, church. I want to share with you why. Check out this text that maybe you've heard before, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Church, this is paramount. This is big. Don't miss this. Jesus, who knew no sin, he hung on the cross. And as Jesus hung on that cross, the sin of the world, past, present, and future, was placed on Christ. And as Jesus hung on that cross, the Bible goes on to say that the Father turned his face away. The father couldn't even bear to look because of the ugliness of the sin on Christ. The Gospels also teach us that in that time period, for hours, Jesus is hanging there bearing the sin of the world. And as he's hanging there, the land goes dark. The sun literally, physically goes dark as Christ bore our sin. And Paul teaches us why. Look at that verse again. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that beautiful? That when God looks at you and when he looks at me, 
as we are Christians, as we are naming Christ, as we are in Christ, God doesn't see the ugliness of my sin. Yes, he sees it, but he doesn't hold that against us because Christ bore the penalty. Christ took that for you and for me so that we might be declared righteous before God, not by anything that we've done, but by what Christ has done for us. And as wonderful as those truths are, I can't help but think about those college students that I met. I can't help but think of the Muslims and the Jehovah's Witnesses and the the Mormons and anyone else that rejects the real biblical Jesus. There's only one name under heaven whereby we must be saved, whereby we can be saved, and his name is Jesus. And we have to make sure we're following the right Jesus. So number one, Jesus conquered life without sin. Number two, Jesus conquered death without question. Look at that verse again. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels. Okay, so Jesus was vindicated by the Spirit and he was seen by angels. Do y'all remember the Precious Moments Bibles? Y'all know what I'm talking about? We used to give those as gifts years ago. If you don't know what a Precious Moments Bible is, it's these Bibles. A lot of times they're like baby blue or pink or whatever. And they had these little baby angels with little baby wings and blue eyes. And they were just really precious, right? They were very cute. And so there's these angels all throughout the Bible in those Precious Moments Bibles. But here's the thing. (laughs) When men... And when women saw angels here in this physical world, there was one emotion that they almost always felt, fear. They were absolutely terrified. Let me show you a couple of examples. Luke's gospel, chapter 1, verse 11. We learned about Zechariah and Elizabeth a couple of weeks ago. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. And fear fell upon him. He was terrified. He was troubled. And he was scared. Uh, Look at Luke's gospel, chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. They weren't just scared. They they were really scared. Put yourself in those shepherd's shoes. They're out in the field in the middle of the night, pitch black, dark, no streetlights, Bible times, right? And so they're out there. They're probably half asleep. And as they're trying to keep watch on their flocks by night, as they're trying to keep their eyes open to keep an eye on their flock to make sure they're safe, boom, an angel appears. And not just an angel, but the glory of the Lord shone around them. I'm going to be honest. I get a little scared when I'm in my bed and my kids flick on the light and I'm half asleep. Like that kind of startles me a little bit. But an angel of the Lord appears and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were absolutely terrified. I remember one time I was reading that story to a group of kids and uh, I asked the kids, I was like, would y'all want to meet an angel like that one day? 
And one of the little boys had wide eyes and mouth up, and he said, no, no, <laughs> no way. They were absolutely terrified. And I'll share that with you to say that angels are, are not these precious, like, sweet creatures. They're, they're, they're magnificent in nature. And God created them to do his bidding, to represent his glory, to represent his majestic nature. And they are but reflections of the glory and majesty of Christ. Now, what's interesting about that is Paul references, and he's saying that the early church used to sing that Jesus was seen by angels. And what he seems to be indicating here is that angels played a role in the life and ministry of Jesus. So uh, texting's pretty big nowadays. I remember when text messaging first came out, I was thinking, this isn't going to take off. I can just call somebody, right? But now we all rely on texting. So if you're going to send a text message to somebody and you really want to make a point, you might be the type of person that uses like 17 exclamation marks or maybe you're the, uh, the mean guy or the emoji. Uh, there's one thing you can do that absolutely just sounds like you're shouting. Caps lock, right? It, it's just like, have you ever read an email from somebody and they've got the caps lock on? It just sounds like they're screaming at you the whole time you're reading the email. Here's the thing. That's sort of what the angels are to the life and ministry of Jesus. All throughout the Bible... All throughout the Gospels, you see these key pivotal moments where the angels appear and it puts a heavy emphasis on a message. It puts a heavy emphasis on a key moment in the life of Jesus. I want to share with you a few of those key moments where the angels appeared in the life of Jesus. Here's one, Jesus' birth. There's actually multiple angelic encounters here. We read about Zechariah. You read about Mary and Joseph. You read about the shepherds. And then also Jesus in the wilderness. If you're not familiar with the story, Jesus was out in the wilderness for 40 days fasting. And as he's out in the wilderness, Satan tries to tempt him to turn rocks into bread if he's really the son of God. And then he tries to get Jesus to bow to Satan. Jesus rebukes Satan and says, no, not today, Satan. And then the angels come and attend to Jesus. Also, Jesus' resurrection. What did those ladies find when they went to that tomb that first Easter morning? Well, they found an empty tomb for one thing, but they also found some angels. And the angels were basically saying, Jesus called a shot. He's alive, just like he said he was going to be. And then also Jesus' ascension. When the angels were there bearing witness to the fact that Jesus was being taken up. And we're actually going to talk more about that in just a moment. Here's the point. All throughout the life and ministry of Jesus, the angels, they emphasized. They validated who Jesus is. This was no ordinary man. He was seen by angels. And you know what? It worked. The fact that the angels were testifying and bearing witness and interacting with mankind throughout all of these key pivotal moments, it caused people to be certain that this was the Christ. So certain that Jesus' followers, his closest followers, paid a very high price 
to spread the message of Christ. If I could, I'd like to share with you the deaths of the apostles. And I want to share with you how they died. And let's consider what they were willing to endure for the sake of telling people about Jesus. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross. Peter was crucified upside down. James, son of Alphaeus, was stoned, then clubbed to death. James, son of Zebedee, was beheaded. Paul was also beheaded. Philip, death by hanging. Thomas, speared to death by four soldiers. Thaddeus was shot by arrows. Matthias was burned to death. Simon the Zealot, Bartholomew, and Matthew all died a martyr's death, though we don't know exactly how. And then John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. And he was the only one to die of old age in the city of Ephesus. I share that to say why. Why on earth would these men endure such pain, such suffering? Why would they pay such a high price to tell people about Jesus? And the reason is simply this. They believed what the angels proclaimed. They believed that the angels did validate the message of Jesus. And this was so important that the early church, they included this in their early church hymn. In fact, Jesus said this about himself in John 11. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? The apostles believed this. This was kind of their secret, although it really wasn't a secret because they told everybody about it. But this this was their thing, right? They believed that death was not the end. They believed that when they breathed their last, even if their life was taken from them, even if they laid their lives down, death was not the end. Death was not something to fear because they had hope in Jesus. I want to encourage all of us to consider what do we believe and make that personal. What do I believe? Do do I believe what the apostles believed? Do I believe in the Jesus of the Bible so much so that I've confessed he's Lord? I was reading in Philippians recently where Paul was talking to the church there and he encouraged them to have a life that was consistent with that, that was worthy of the gospel. May it be said of us, church, that Jesus is Lord of us. So number one, Jesus conquered life without sin. Number two, he conquered death without question. Third and final, Jesus conquered the future without rival. Look at verse 16 here. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. So my my son Sam, he's 11, and something that we love to do is watch superhero movies together. And uh, it's just kind of one of our things that we like to do. And it's fun watching those movies, you know, where these people have these extraordinary powers, and it's cool to imagine that. I want to clarify something. The emphasis in that text that Jesus was taken up, the emphasis is not that he was 
floating or flying off like some superhero, though that's kind of cool. The emphasis is that Jesus was taken up in glory. He was taken up in glory. Uh, Luke gives us an account of that taking place. Let's look at that together. Acts chapter 1, verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he, being Jesus, was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come to you in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Uh, Keep in mind the timeline of events here. Jesus was raised up from the dead by the Spirit of God. He spends 40 days encouraging his followers. And then here we see him being lifted up into heaven. And the scriptures say that he was lifted up on a cloud. Uh, Many theologians believe that this was not the fluffy cloud like we might see in the Precious Moments Bibles, okay? Many theologians believe that this was the manifest presence of God, as thick as a cloud, that was ushering in Jesus, taking him up, not just into heaven, but into glory, to be with God the Father. You might be thinking, well, what happened next? If you read through the book of Acts, you learn that the Spirit of God falls and begins to indwell God's people, which... Still happens today, praise God. But something else happened. Look at the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. It's up on the screen. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As I was reading that text, I was reminded of the old hymn, He is Lord. Y'all remember that one? The, the simple lyrics of that song really just echo that passage. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead and he is Lord. Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We believe that, do we not, church? Jesus is Lord. And his lordship is boundless. His lordship is matchless. As we sing in the more current song, you have no rival, right? You have no equal. In fact, the only one that has any sort of power that has dared to stand against the will of God, that has dared to confront Christ in that manner, is Satan. And by the way, spoiler alert, Satan doesn't win. It doesn't go well for him in the end. Check out Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. And the devil who had deceived him was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Church, Jesus has conquered the future with no rival. I I know we've talked about a lot of doctrinal truths about Jesus taking on flesh and being sinless and all that he's conquered. And here's why all of this is important. 
it's not important, so you can walk away and answer some theological question when somebody asks. That's fine. But the real issue is what you do with this truth. Because the lordship of Jesus demands a response from every person here. The lordship of Jesus demands a response from every person that has ever existed. Years ago, there was a pastor by the name of Adrian Rogers that many of us listened to. He, he had a way with words. And I want to share with you a quote from Adrian Rogers about the lordship of Jesus. He said this, Christianity is not a cafeteria line where you say, I'll have a little salvation, but no lordship right now. I, I think we see that in our culture. I think we see people that like the idea of heaven and don't like the idea of hell. And they're like, yeah, I'll, I'll take the salvation, but Jesus, Lord, I don't know about all of that. I'm not going to really pattern my life after that. I'm not going to surrender my life to that. I just want the ticket. One ticket, please. And that's what we think we can do. But the truth is, the Bible teaches us we have to come to God on his terms. And his terms are through his son. There is a free gift. But you have to come to God on his terms through Christ. Because he is Lord. And so churches, we reflect on these truths. Jesus really is sinless. And he conquered this life sinlessly. He conquered death. He has conquered the future. Jesus is Lord. Every year at our house, we set up a few nativity scenes around the house. And surprisingly, this has not happened this year. But uh, the past couple of years, our daughter Abigail, she's five this year, uh, she goes around the house, and we didn't know what was going on, but baby Jesus just kept disappearing from all the nativity scenes. And so we're like, where did baby Jesus go? So we're looking around the house for all the baby Jesuses. And we come to find out that Abigail was hoarding them. Uh, she thought, Jesus, baby Jesus was so cute. And so she was stealing baby Jesus from all the nativity scenes. It's good for us to think about the baby in the manger, the Christ child. The church, may we not forget, he's not a baby anymore. Jesus is Lord. He has been exalted. He's been given the name above every other name. May you confess Jesus is Lord if you have not already. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes at this time. We're going to enter into a time of response. And the Lordship of Jesus absolutely demands a response from each of us. If you're saved, the lordship of Jesus demands that we, as the hymn says, surrender all. That he's master. Is there anything in your life that you need to surrender this morning? Finances? Decisions? what you're watching, how you're speaking. Confess Jesus is Lord. Maybe today you recognize, I'm not sure. If I died today, I'm not sure if I would go to heaven. I'm not sure I would be with the Lord. The Bible says you can have assurance and conviction. 
we would love to pray with you if you're not sure this morning that you too might experience life. Lord, and we do mean it, Lord, we thank you for texts such as these. We thank you for the truths they contain. And may we as your people May the fact that Jesus is Lord, may the fact that you are Lord of all, may that be so clearly evident in our church corporately, but also on an individual level with each of us. Thank you for the gospel. Have your way with us. It's in Christ's name we pray.